0: Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline. you will be inspired through the word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Amen. With that, um, you know, I was even thinking about uh, when Pastor Mike was talking during, the mess, or during that little worship spiel on just the living hope and, you know, sitting on the, uh, the edge of your seat in expectation, right? Now, really when you're sitting on the edge of your seat in expectation and hope, what you're really doing is you're just having faith. And so today, kind of as we talk, I pray that we just sprinkle a little bit more seed on the soil and hopefully we get some roots and some fruits. Can I get an amen? Amen. My mom was obviously the loudest as usual. Um, So with that, I want to talk today about something that we're calling the King's Table, the king's table. Now, many of you guys, if you know anything about this uh, passage of scripture, it's going to be found in 2 Samuel. Um, It's an interesting passage of scripture, but before I go into it, one of my favorite sermons that my dad has ever done um, was actually, uh, I remembered it, it was from 429.17. I had to do some deep diving, and it's actually on this passage of scripture on a man by the name of Mephibosheth, and so actually that's going to be your homework is it's very easy to find, but I'm going to preach on this from a different lens, and if you want to get a full deep dive on this portion of scripture, you can look that up, so at the very end, I'm going to shout out what that is, and so some of you guys maybe will remember it, but you know, I'm not going to lie, there's not very many church people that remember four-year-old messages, which is okay. I'm not judging you, but maybe a little. Anyway, also, too, I have every excuse in the world not to take notes, right? I've listened to the same pastor for uh, 28 years. <laughs> every day of my life, right? <laughs> so it's like, I, I love when people are like, oh, I don't take notes, or oh, I don't really, you know, I'm just here and I receive. And you're like, and you don't leave with anything. <laughs> so with that, I would encourage you um, like I said, is that's why I remembered this passage and I went through and kind of listened and, and looked over some stuff because really what I'm going to be talking about is a different lens and really what it comes from is, is the king's table in the Old Testament was a symbol of status. It was a symbol of success. It was a symbol of surplus. It was a symbol of if you sat there, you were Somebody. And so what I want to talk about today is the tables that we sit at, that we we think offer us things that really are replacing the king's table. And, And what I mean by that is maybe some of us we've set up shop and every day we come to the table of careerism hoping that it will validate. Maybe some of us, we sit at the table of consumerism where every day we're looking for the next thing that'll purchase and scratch the itch, the next thing that will meet the need, the next thing that will get us to a place of of euphoria for 30 seconds. Maybe some of us, we we sit at the table of a tribalism mentality where we align with people who are like-minded or exactly like us, and ultimately, when we're around those people, we feel charged, but when we're not around those, ultimately, we feel disconnected. See, what I'm trying to do is, is get us to realize that we actually seek out these places of communion more than we realize, especially in this world today. You know, in the divisive nature of where really not just America but the world, I feel like, is is what we do is we seek out places where we feel safe, where we feel comfortable, where we feel seen, and where we feel known. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but at the king's table, it's not about comfort. It's not about being somebody. It's about what he can do for you. And what I'm trying to say today is this, is that I believe that when we choose to sit at the table of Jesus, not just in a, okay, and some of us, we still can't get over. We're like, okay, what table? Like, we setting one up out in the foyer and eating donuts after this? You're like, little lost. You'll, you'll understand when we get into the Old Testament passage, but my goal today is for us to realize that when we choose to sit at the king's table, what we inherit, what we get, the trade-off of it is much greater than anything we could ever get sitting at the tables of this world. And I want to encourage all of us, if if we have found ourselves at the tables of this world and we prioritize them more than the table of Christ, then we will come up empty, we will come up hungry, and we will come up without an identity that we can only get when we sit with Him. But before I do, uh, I don't know why I was thinking about this. And I told my grandma I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm just, you know, she's, she's fine. <laughs> she's in the center section, and she'll just spank me later. Uh, but it's funny because I remember me and my brother. We used to go in the summer times to visit my grandparents, and when we'd go down there, we'd go down for a couple weeks, and they lived in Kentucky. And this was before the ages of cell phones, so it was it was great, uh, and it was it was awesome because we'd go down and we'd shoot guns, and we'd ride f- a four wheeler, and we'd go swimming on the lake, and go fishing, and jump off the jumping rock, and it was great. And then all and uh, always at the end, what we would do though is they'd take us to Holiday World. But before we do, I promise. you, this. My grandfather knew every place there was either a Shoney's or Orion's. <laughs> now here's the deal. You know what a Shoney's and Orion's is? It's the biggest table with the most food. And I mean, every option you can think of. And he went there because he knew it, no matter what moods you were in, you could find something there. I mean, they, they probably had fortune cookies. I don't know. But they, they literally had everything. And so it'd be funny because nowadays I, like, could look at some routes. And I was joking with my grandma about this yesterday. But I was thinking about this yesterday when I was looking at the, or this week I was looking at the route. And I mean, my grandfather would go two, two hours out the way to get a Ryan's. And my grandparents, they only drive 45 on the highway, so it's really like four hours out the way. We get there, and it was funny because it was good food, but it's like there's a reason that all 66 locations aren't open today. (laughs) It's like, I don't even know where Shoney's is. I mean, I don't even, anyway, has anybody heard of Shoney's or Ryan's in here? Okay, everybody has. All right, sweet. (laughs) Everybody's like, I went there when I was starving and I left not wanting to eat for three years. But also, fun fact, is my, on one of those trips, that was the last time I was spanked. I was 16 by my grandma at a water park. <laughs> on my life, we told her we were going to go down a slide. This is bonus material. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I told her we were going to go down a slide. We ended up going down like three slides. They couldn't find us. My grandma was a little bit losing it. Walked up, and she saw us. I said, hey, grandma. And she walked up just... In a, in a crowd, you told me you were, my brothers just said, I was laughing. I'm like, I haven't been spanked in like 10 years. <laughs> my, my, my grandpa was like, Bobby, Bobby, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's 16. <laughs> she wants to deny it, but she knows. <laughs> anyway, it was, I laughed more about that. I was like, I am getting spanked as a 16-year-old right now my oh, grand- by my grandmother in a water park in public. You w- <laughs> she said, she's, she tried to spank me this morning. Anyway, the king's table, Ryan's, Shoney's, no spankings. But essentially what it was is, is my grandfather, he knew what he wanted and what he needed and what would scratch the itch of everything for him, and he knew where to go. And I pray today that, When you get to the place where you know you need more, when your flesh, or not when your your spirit is craving more, that you're looking and you're saying, okay, I'm going to the king's table, because all this other stuff that the world is offering, it's not Jesus. And I believe that truly us as individuals, man, it is getting tougher and tougher and tougher to to choose Jesus every day. And I pray that we do. So what I want to do is I want to read. We're going to jump into it. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through verse 11. Now, backstory. okay? Here's what you have to realize. A few weeks ago I talked specifically about Saul coming to power. And if you remember that story, it was... They anointed Saul, and he had all the exterior perspective of what it would be to be a good king. And then all of a sudden, they went to anoint him, and they couldn't find him, and he was hiding in the luggage. A.K.A. terrible selection, (laughs) Israel. Like, you should have done a lot better than this guy. Long story short, Saul goes out in a flaming disaster of kingship. Um, And marked by one of his final instances, the night before he's going to die, this is the very first king of God's chosen people mind you. The night before he's going to die, he decides to go to a witch's house to summon up a dead prophet to ask for advice, right? How many of you guys know this just sounds like the most godly thing you could do, (laughs) right? So so he goes, this witch looks at him, she's like, aren't you the king? Like, you outlawed witches. He's like, it's fine, don't worry about it. She's like, okay, this is not going to be good. What happens is he summons Samuel up in like a weird... We can talk about this another time. And long, and long story short, Samuel looks at him and says, hey, because you're doing this, you're going to be dead tomorrow. Your enemies are going to defeat you. So what happens is, is his enemies do defeat him, and David then comes up as the king, first of Judah, then of all of Israel. Now, here's where it gets interesting is as he replaces Saul, so what you have to realize is that when there are differing or enemy kingdoms is what would happen is, is the new king would essentially wipe out all of the old king's family because he did not want any threat against the throne. And that's something you can find really all throughout, not just the Old Testament, but just modern history, is that any there was a threat to the throne, that person would automatically be destroyed killed because the king did not want to deal with it. Now, here's the thing about it, is David had made a covenant, though, and a covenant is, that word is way too watered down for our context, because the only covenant we really can associate with is, is marriage, and even in today's day and age, I mean, that's like, do you want to, do you not, whatever you want to do, really. Covenant in Bible times was so much more than anything, really, I could even spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes on. But long story short, Jonathan, David makes a covenant, they're best buddies, and, and it's funny because it's Saul's kid, and so Saul's like, why did you make a covenant? Like he's looking like, why are you friends with my enemy? And Jonathan's like, because he's smart and you're dumb. And then, and then what happens is, is Jonathan dies in the battle with his father, but he leaves one son behind. Now David does not know this son is alive, and then he, one day he wakes up and goes, you know what? That guy I made a covenant with. Is any of his kids still around? So let's read. It says this. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, however, he is crippled in both feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emeliel at Lodabar. Then, the, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face paying homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness, for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Now, what you have to realize is Mephibosheth, when being called before the king, in in all honesty, is very much thinking, I'm dead. He found out I'm alive, and if you research, once again, I'm gonna shout out my dad's message, he kind of broke down some of the distances, what the towns meant, what the names meant, is he's actually really pretty far out and, and David is summoning him into the palace, and so he's looking and saying, oh, gosh, I'm pro- this is it. I'm probably done. And what happens is, is he shows up, and David's like, oh, no, you're not done. I'm going to restore you the lands and the riches of your father. Now, no offense, what do you think the lands and the riches are of a king? I mean, I would love to be like, David, what does that mean? Because he was kind of over wasn't Saul over everything. No, they all, they kind of had their own personal plots. But here's the deal. Mephibosheth is going from thinking he is absolutely dead to, I'm rich. And not only am I rich, I have servants, I have land. But if you notice though, the last part, and you shall eat at my table always. See, that's what's interesting to me because what you know what's fascinating is and it was it's totally the Lord that this came up. I was reading my Bible yesterday and you know just for the king's palace alone, just for the table prepared for him, it actually Solomon broke down in the Bible it's recorded in 2nd Kings, I believe it's chapter 3 or 4. How many animals per day the palace would consume and it was over 500. And that's just animals. I mean, you want to talk about the extravagance of eating at the king's table. I'm not going to lie. I am a meat eater. And so when I look at 500 animals and the options and knowing that they got the best chefs going, I'm like, I want to eat at the king's table right now. I like got hungry, started looking in the cabinets. (laughs) But what am I trying to say, right, is Mephibosheth shows up thinking I'm dead and he leaves realizing, oh my goodness, I have just stepped into the greatest blessing of my entire life. Let's continue reading. It says this. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I skipped ahead. Verse 8. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog such as I? Then the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. I guarantee Ziba is ticked. He's like, Ziba's been taking care of everything for the namesake of Saul, and now he's like, hey, you don't got to take care of it anymore. You just need to do whatever the crippled dude tells you to do, right? Let's con- and that's going to pop up later. You'll see why. Um, verse 10, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. I love that verse because like a lot of us, we read that and we're like, oh, that's cool. But it's like, David just told him, you're gonna eat at my table. That's three square meals a day. And he just looked at this dude and was like, hey, I always wanna make sure he's got food to eat. So you're gonna make sure he has it, but he's got three meals over here. If I'm Ziba, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's great. I'll waste my time all the time, perfect. I'll make sure that I harvest the grain, make the bread, have all the meals ready, and he's gonna eat at your table every day. Sounds like a really great existence for me, right? So let's keep reading, and then it says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to the Lord and the commandments of his servant, so shall your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, and listen to that one, like one of the king's sons. Think about this. He came in, I'm a dead dog, and he left, I'm a king's son. And we're going to get more into this later, but... I'm kind of, once again, I'm giving an aerial kind of portrayal of this story, and I'm going to shameless plug again, I'll shout out exactly how to watch this message that goes more deeper on some of these uh, details, but here's what happens, though, is later on, Mephibosheth has been eating at David's table for years, and has been viewed as a son for years, but what happens is, is David does not know how to parent one of his sons, and that particular son's ends up uh, leading an uprising that leads to a civil war. His name is Absalom, and takes over the kingdom to where David has to flee. Now, David flees, and guess what? Mephibosheth doesn't come. And David is like, what is going on? But Ziba shows up. Now, what happens is, as we're going to read, is Ziba actually tells lies. Why? Because he was managing the estate without anybody, and now he has to listen to a crippled dude tell him what to do. And so what he does is he says, hey, I'm here and I'm loyal to you, but Mephibosheth, he isn't. And then what happens is, is he's looking and he's wondering what's going on. And we're going to pick up the story where David wins back the kingdom. He's riding right back up to the palace and Mephibosheth is, is going to meet him. And David is like, dude, what were you doing? Let's read 2 Samuel nineteen twenty four. And Mephibosheth, the son of Samuel, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said, Why did you not go up with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, but I will ride, but that I may ride and go on it to the king, for I am lame." But he has slandered your servant to my lord and king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. So do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before the lord and king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Wow, right. Now, our Western Americanized way of thinking, there's a righteous indignation that rises up when we read that. That guy was lied about, slandered to, left behind, and then ultimately now I have to split everything with him. Are you kidding? He lied about me. He slandered me. He left me behind, and he wanted me, he literally, for he was supposed to be my servant. Listen to what Mephibosheth says. Verse 30, And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Later on, it actually goes on to say, As, as long as I continue to eat at the king's table, he can have everything. What a sombering way to think of things, Right? He's restored wealth. He's restored blessing. He's restored financial favor. He's restored everything. But the only thing that matters is if I have a place at the king's table. Man, I'm not going to lie. In a world today where everything else matters but the king's table, it feels like that we would re centralize and reprioritize the fact that we have been given a seat at the greatest table you could ever sit at. Why are we skipping it? We have been given a place of honor. We've been given a place of protection. We've been given a place of safety. We've been given a place of provision. We've been given a place of promise. And we've been given a place of sonship and daughtership. Yet we look at it like it's a drive-through. Oh, I'll just get my fill for the day for 10, 20 seconds or try to listen to this worship song or catch church once every four months. (laughs) And if I do catch, I mean, I'll watch online for five minutes and then scroll through my phone the next 25. What am I trying to say is that the king's table is so much more than you coming to church. It's so much more than just the passive engagement that somehow is trickling into every fiber of this country now. It has to be more. And what I'm saying today Is the king's table, in my definition, is what and how you spend your time interacting with God. Whether that's through word, worship, community, church attendance, we have been given access to a king's table through Jesus every moment that we breathe. Do we actually steward and commit to it? Because today it really feels like it's not that big of a priority. And what I'm trying to say in essence is this, is I believe that we as people have everything to do and sometimes forget about the one thing that matters. And it's not about where you're eating. It's about where you're getting validated from. It's about where you're spending majority of your time. It's about the people we're surrounding ourselves with. It's about the standard that we're called to live at. That's all related to the king's table. So what I want to do is I just want to talk with my final moments on how to know you're at the king's table. And the first thing is this. What's more, most important to you, the person of Jesus or the people and possessions? Now what I mean by that is this is what's interesting. Remember what happened is when given the choice, Mephibosheth literally says, I, David restores to him everything his family line had had. Now, if you know anything, when Saul even rose to power, actually, it says that he came from a wealthy line. So you have generations of wealth, then you have a kingship on top of that. Mephibosheth did not need David. When David gave that back to him, he didn't need him anymore. He did not need David. He had land, he had title, he had wealth, he had food, he had servants, he had everything he needed. He did not need David. But that king's table offered him something he didn't have, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But what I'm trying to say is this, is in our world today, when we have everything that we need, do we still choose him? When everything's taken care of, when everything's going good, when all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted, is he still going to be the number one choice? Because for Mephibosheth, that showed his character as I will forsake everything for a spot at that table. I pray that we would look at our lives and if God says to sacrifice something, we will because the table matters more. And for some of us, we've been looking at this place of we have control, and we have all of our basic necessities, and we've got the T's and the I's dotted and crossed, and God's been saying, I want you to sacrifice, and we're saying, I don't need to, because I don't need your table, I built my own. And see, the tables that we're building today are not just tables of of doctrine and theology. The tables that we're building today are us looking and saying, my ways are higher. My life is more important than what you've commanded me to do. This identity is my more focus than him. The sacrifice of your son was enough, and I'll live in that reality, but never much more because I really do like my own. Land, title, servant, whatever you want to call it. Are the people and possessions more important than the person? Mm-hmm. The second thing is this the ultimate test of maturity as a believer is how you handle offense. Listen to this. Remember, he is, Mephibosheth starts and says, I was slandered. I was talked bad about. I was talked down to. He lied about me. And you know what David said? Is David looked at him and said, Well, pretty much I don't care. You're splitting half of it. That's what he said. And you notice... See, in my way of thinking, I'm like, okay, that's round one. We got 15 more rounds of arguing going on. He lied. He slandered. He's an idiot. I can't believe it, right? I'm a, we are not backing down from this because that is wrong. What he did was bad. What he did was awful. I cannot believe. He left me behind. He took all my servants. I literally was left alone. You gave me everything. No, you know what he did is he said, okay, he can have it. Actually, give it all to him. Give me the table. Man, and today, whoo, I can't tell you how many of us are sacrificing not only our witness, not only our credibility, but really the institution of the church because we don't know how to handle offense. Not even the institution of the church, I would say the future of our spirituality because if you don't know how to handle offense, you don't have a future with Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm going to be real honest. Because there will be, you will reach a point in growth where God wants you to go further, but that's a test you, can't, you have to pass before you can go higher. It is a test you must pass in order to go to the place that God has called you. You are going to have to deal with offense. You are going to have to deal with people who are going to say things about you, who are going to lie about you, who are going to talk about you, who are going to say things about you, and you're going to have to run and continue to run and say, God, I'm not going to be offended. And for some of us, the offense that we feel is nothing on the scale of where even God has called us to. And he's saying your pain threshold has to grow. Because I'll be honest, it's so funny in the church because you can pour your lives into people. And if they don't like the church you wear, they ain't coming back. That's the country we live in, is that we don't know how to run with offense, and then we align ourselves with offended people and wonder how we could live in offended reality. It's because it's all we've ever known. We're entitled to our feelings, so because we're entitled to our feelings, they take precedent over what the Bible says, and instead of following the Bible and having a spot at the table, our feelings have developed a new doctrine. Our thinking has developed a new theology. Yep. And you know what it's done is it's replaced Jesus. You want to talk about somebody who, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'll be honest, I'm going to get into this next week a little bit. I'm just going to give you a little precursor. But before I do, I think it's just so important for us to realize the, the urgency of correction needed for Christianity. Because if this correction is not seen, see, some of us, we're looking at the outside world, and we're so worried about it. But in all honesty, what Jesus actually came to do is change your world, and through your world being changed, the other world is changed too. And some of us, we're so focused on the outside world that we've stopped changing ourselves. And then in stopping changing ourselves, we've given a false representation of who God is because we haven't committed to consistently showing up to the table. And it is not now we have stopped changing and we've looked at everything else on the outside that's wrong, not realizing that that's a speck and you might have a log. And I want us to get to the place this morning where the table is more important than anything on the outside. It is, God, I'm sitting, I'm listening, I'm receiving, I'm changing, I'm growing in your word and in your spirit. Or should I say in your spirit and in your truth. Well, we continue to show up at the king's table even when sometimes we don't like the people sitting at it? Man, I can't. It's, it's I, I'll be honest, and my parents can speak to this as well, is what's really tough is when people get offended and then hit the glass ceiling of what offense does to your faith and wonder why there's, there's frustration with God. If we learn to handle offense well, I promise you the greatest blessing and the greatest honor God will bestow on us because what that says is, Father, I don't need to be in control of the narrative. I trust you with it, and I will forgive, I will bless, and I will trust. I will forgive, I will bless. You know what that does to your witness is when you can forgive, you can bless, you can trust. You don't need to talk bad about it behind closed doors. You don't need to be right in every situation. I forgive. I bless and I trust you know what that sounds like? the gospel I forgive you I bless you and I give my spirit to you even though you do not deserve it even though there is nothing you could ever do that could chalk you up enough points to win this I forgive you I want to bless you and I trust you my parting thought oh this is a good one Psalm seven twelve. If a man does not repent, then I will sharpen my sword against him. Hoo-hoo! I would venture to say I would. There isn't a big enough sword to fight God. <laughs> like no offense. Like if a man does not repent, I will sharpen my sword against him. Some of us care more about being right wrong. Forgiven or unforgiven, and everything else there is in this story than actually being at the king's table. And my last thought is this the king's table is the only identity you need. Is it enough for you? You know, and that, to some of us, are like, wow, that's the most Christian thing you've said all day. (laughs) That was an opportunity for you to laugh. We were getting serious, sorry. But here's what we need to realize you know what the king's table did? Let's think about this. For Mephibosheth, he's not a cripple anymore. He's a son. He's not a dead dog anymore. He's got a seat at the table. He's not the loser grandson of a failed king. He's the one who eats with kings. He's not an orphan He's a king's son. And for some of us, all our identity has been wrapped up in our inadequacy, our failure, everything that hasn't gone right in our world. And what God's saying is if you continue to sit at my table, I can change that narrative. If you continue to come to me and trust me and choose me and seek me, that crippled moniker, no, now it's a son. That orphan moniker, no, now it's a son. You know, that need moniker of you are out barely surviving now you are in the palace. see, a lot of us were barely surviving and it's because we've chosen every other table but his the narrative changes when you decide. And what I'm trying to say in my closing moments of this is this, Some of us, maybe the reason we feel the way we do, we function the way we are, or we're at the place we're at is because we just haven't made a decision to be at the table. Or the decision we make is for a moment and it does not affect us the rest of our life. It doesn't, and I'm gonna take it, actually throttle it way down. It won't affect us tomorrow. Because you realize that that's all it takes in life is a decision that you'll just carry tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow. See, a lot of us, we're praying for life change and God's saying, can you do something different tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow. See, man, we've got these big prayer requests and we've got these big dreams and we've got these big things we want God to do, or we're dealing with this identity that's deficient or devoid, or we just feel like we're not seen, we're not known, we're not loved, we don't have anything to offer, we're nobody. And you know what God's saying is? Can we make decisions today and then stick to them tomorrow? Because if you continue to show up to my table, the nourishment will strengthen you. The status will esteem you. The sonship will validate you but it is your choice to show up. And I don't even know why I feel like crying right now. But, man, I just, this, this passage is, could you imagine living like Mephibosheth where his entire life he had nothing? His family was dead. There was nobody there for him. He was a dead dog. And the king said, I got room. And see, some of us, we felt like a dead dog, we felt forgotten, we felt defeated, and God's saying, I got room. That's right. That's right. And it's also perfect, this song we're about to sing, because I feel like this is a moment for our church, and I want to encourage everybody to be here for the next few weeks, because um, I really believe that the Lord is going to speak. I feel like there's um, some things stirring right now, but... I think that right now there are people who need this moment to decide how they're going to believe, think, and walk tomorrow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, I know Pastor Mike's going to maybe come up here, but as we go into this song, I pray that we would be people who say, God, I'll lean back in your loving arms. I'll breathe deep and know that you're good. Because those are the words we're going to sing. Let's all stand. Father.